It's time for verbal tap. Raph, we don't even have time for a fun teaser. We have so many things to talk about first and foremost. How excited were you when you saw that the Hulk's contract had been (laughs) – Hulk Hogan, excuse me. Yeah, I was about to say. Hulk Hogan's contract had been released. Eric Bana's contract. (laughs) Do not read it out loud because he gets very upset. It's really, really – Really, really lippy around page 40. No, um, Kevin's referring to Hulk Hogan's leaked contract, which I put on the page. And the reason I put it on, and, you know, I mean, obviously it's funny to me. So I just assume maybe it's funny to you guys. But this contract is a work of art. And I don't say that about contracts, Kevin. You're impressed? You think this one goes in the Smithsonian of contracts, which Can should I be a thing? Be really real with you for one second. Go you know how in college you take super shitty courses that you're like, how the fuck did I end up in this? Oceanography, sure. Uh, I took one called Earth's Dynamic Weather. And <laughs> that bullshit was my science. And that shows you how much I love science. But Earth's Dynamic Weather was such bullshit, it didn't even compare to one that I took called legal writing. And legal writing was for the English majors. And so it would give you the feeling like, ooh, I understand contracts. All right, let me read this. So as that happens, I used that class for the very first time with this contract with Hulk Hogan. And some of the gems include the following. A, Hulk Hogan got paid just to wear an NWO t-shirt. Handsomely. How much did he get paid? $20,000. I also read it because I was obsessed. Once I started reading, I couldn't stop reading. Super boring at first. It really gets exciting around page three. $20,000 to rep the NWO shirt per appearance. Then he also gets a signing bonus because basically it's just him putting a signature to something. He made $1.5 million. Then he also gets creative control over all of his finishes. So that's imagine right here on the podcast. It's imagine <laughs> Kevin and I literally saying to each other, all right, Kevin, uh, basically here's the deal. You have to lose to me all the times. No, I will never drop the title to you because look at my contract. Look. You have this. Did Ted Turner approve you to win every pay-per-view? Have no. you been to subsection one? Part D, Amendment A. Speaking of pay-per-views, I'm going to get a fucking fat chunk of them because we're going to write it in language that nobody can fucking understand. So if it gets six points, you give me all of your fucking money because you're so stupid. What about this? Mm. Uh, I'm in additional terms and conditions. Mm. Paragraph C. Mm -hmm. When required to travel for WCW first class. First class suite hotel accommodations. That's as specific as it is, Raph. He apparently isn't like a Marriott Rewards user, which I thought was fascinating. Limousine transportation <laughs> and $175 per diem. $175 is the best. Because I hope what that WCW that required him to get receipts for, it's for like he, all of the bullshit he went to. mentioned he's getting $20,000 to show up in his fucking limousine with an NWO shirt on. And that, will, that check will read $20,175. Thank you very much. Now listen here, brother. 
when Hulk Hogan gets out to the buffet line, he's not going to get to just any buffet, brother. He's going to get to the top, the pinnacle of the buffets. But then he's got to bring his main man, the mouth from the south, Jimmy Hart, with him, who really he eats economically, but let's be real, he should eat better. And then he's going to bring his buddy, the Nasty Boys. And if you've seen how big these guys are, I'm talking huge. So, yeah, of course, that's exactly why he needs $175, which oh, I guess in 90s money is probably about 1.5 times what it would be today. So, yeah, you know, basically think about it, Kevin. What would you do with about, let's just say roughly 300 bucks for food if your work gave that to you on top of, say, you know, the $2 million salary you're making a year? Yeah, I don't know. I, I I like to think that I would probably rent like an extravagant, like beachside type meal. You know what I'm saying? Like, you probably get a personal chef for that, right? It's so well, crazy. And that that was just like I hundred. I want to know how he came to that number. Oh, and I also I absolutely want to think know. That's, that's how much his coke dealer charged no. because like he oh. was just like, oh, what a funny way to remember to pay my. First coke of dealer. all, classless note, Kevin. As we all know, Hulk Hogan took all. Of his vitamins and said his prayers, there was no cocaine. Okay, uh, he was prominent in the eighties. Am I am I wrong? You know, Kevin. Here's the thing: you can't prove it. Okay, I, and this is not a judgment. This is not an but indictment. It, I, I was. I thought I was pretty whimsically. I'd like you to walk me through <laughs> how you think cocaine use between Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage would go. I mean, Since I you prompted it. I want you to give me a scenario of what that sounds like mm, now, brother. Could could you could you hand me that mirror? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ah, and it's just that on repeat it's until the Hulk starts crying. Fresh <laughs> and I didn't know. Oh I yeah, oh he's yeah. Like he's deep, but he's still friendly. And he's like, oh, absolutely. He means it. Can I tell you though? I was so sad because I'd come up with uh, different ideas of what I wanted to do for Halloween, and not like this year. Because once you see the costumes that happen this year, you're like, oh, maybe this year, maybe next year. Because I already had. A costume that I was going to be doing as part of a group while I was in Vegas this weekend. So uh, I had thought about it and I was like, man, I would like to go as the Macho Man if only for the reason of staying in character all night <laughs> and saying absolute gibberish and letting people really go with me. Because one year I went as Sean Connery and I stayed in character as Sean Connery. And it was right at the time Casino Royale was coming out. You probably do a good Sean Connery because you guys have equal head size. Well, Very, of course I do. Yeah, and obviously the actual. See, the most important part about doing the Sean Connery is that you're always right. I would so badly love to hear Sean Connery and George St. Pierre play like a MMA trivia game at some point. So we're going to have to talk about that in the okay. production meeting this uh, week. See if we can get both say this, on. Just to, to prove, and <laughs> good concept, but just to prove the, the impression, because I always do this. This is my tuning fork. Uh, those of you may be familiar with the 1996 modern classic, The Rock. Yeah. Okay. It's a gold standard around these parts. He was of the also podcast. great in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The League of Extraordinary <laughs> Suck, I think, is what you mean. The movie that he retired on. That's a different podcast, though. Uh, this is Sean Connery's speech that he gives in reference to Nick Cage saying he's doing the best he can. <clears throat> I'm so excited. They're bashed. 
Losers always complain about doing their best. Winners go out and fuck the prom queen. Now, here's the added bonus to this because uh, I also dabble in the Nicolas Cage. This is Nicolas Cage's uh, response. Who plays like a nuclear physicist in this movie. Yes, (laughs) yes. Uh, I think the wife's name's Ra- Raquel or Rachel, so we'll just go with it. Okay. Probably Raquel, because it's more annoying. Yeah. Raquel was the prom queen. And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that is not his response. I got to rewatch that movie. It's my dad it. and I. I think my dad and I laugh watched it at uh, Thanksgiving last year, but we were also cooking. Yeah, of course. Or Christmas. Mm-hmm. So. I would say this as you rewatch it between that and Con Air. Listen to the amount of overdubbed guitars that play in the background of every scene. Definitely. And if you're playing a dink- drinking game, just take a shot every time you hear an out-of-control guitar uh, amping up as the action goes on. So anyway, that's the Sean Connery. Anyway, back to the point. Yes, I, I wanted to be Macho Man Andy Savage. Yeah, yeah, probably. I would be able to go up to people and cut promos all night. Because when I was Sean Connery, at one point at a party, I turned down the music I looked at everybody and I just said, I've lost the cure for cancer. And then I ran out of the room. So, like, that's the type of stuff I'll do if I'm in character. So I just really wanted to do it. But then I saw, like, 15 people go as the Macho Man. And you know what? Some of you guys and some of you may be listening. Some of you did okay. But let's really talk about the fact that when you go as the Macho Man, you better have a fucking jacket that, like, has fucking tassels and a hat that glitters and just go for it. One person had Slim Jims in their hand, and I give them credit for that. Those pants better hurt, because I always remember seeing him and thinking, gosh, he's in charge of some serious outfit right now. Now, see, Kevin, this is why I asked you about the scenario, because one thing that you should know about the Macho Man is that he always went pinkies up. So that's the perfect Macho Man impression, right? Yeah. That pinky could also test out some good cocaine. (laughs) So if you're really thinking about it, that's the scenario that you want to go ahead and put it on to. And if we're thinking about like some of the trademarks of the Macho Man, always super high energy, annoyingly mm-hmm. so, never showed his pupils in public, ever, mm-hmm. and was always smiling from ear to ear. Well, we figured it out for all of you listening at home. So in case you didn't know, wrestlers might have been on drugs or steroids or a combination of the two. We got to find out what the Macho Man's stipend was. Is that in his <laughs> contract? We got to go. Internet, you're in charge of this I one. I bet you at least one of the bullet points in the Macho Man's contract was, Ooh, but what happens to Miss Elizabeth? I need her to have wheel and jet service. God, if you were making a poster for cocaine, you would just put his picture in his prime. All you have to do is just take the reverse of him, like, snap into a Slim Jim and just, like, put just say no underneath it. I'm looking at images and I'm struggling to stay sober. So we have a lot to talk about. Let's stick with... Things that are happening from the past, I guess. Uh, Kurt Angle versus Ken Shamrock. You said the meme is really funny. Thank you. That you would unironically watch this shit out of this. 100%. I would watch it as an objected viewer. Though you should also know what it says at the bottom of that meme. What does it say at the bottom? In the description section. Uh, Not staring at it. I just memorized the meme. 
in the description section. And I was like, I will unironically watch the shit out of this. Just kidding. No, I won't. I mean, come on. I did not see that part. But first of all, you know you and I will both be watching, if nothing else, our morbid curiosity of if they can wheel Ken Shamrock into the cage one more time. So, so mean, Kevin. Listen, here's what I'll say this uh, about this. This is the thing. Honestly, neither of them needs to fight. I think that goes without saying. Kurt Angle's neck is basically broken in 49 places. And Ken Shamrock is the world's oldest man or whatever he goes by these days. So between these two, I don't necessarily have to see this match. But if they made it happen, and this is the big if because, Kev, you jumped ahead before we could give the conditional let's talk about what really happened. They basically made a contract with Kurt Angle to appear at a fan fest. Yeah. Which begs the question. Are they using this as an opportunity to gauge interest in a possible Kurt Angle match? You go. Well, interest gauged, but I want them to really fight. And my interpretation <laughs> was that they weren't that was that maybe instead of fighting, he was going to make an appearance that kind of looked like a fight. That's what I was waiting for. That's what I'm hoping for. Oh, that's that's your best case scenario that it will be I mean, exactly that. It'll look like a MMA match, but it'll have. Theatrics. Well, let's not forget that it is also the Bellator that put out the masked man who yeah, accompanied for sure. Stefan Bonner against Tito Ortiz, at least in the ring promo for the two. So that's why yes. we're talking about this. We're, yes. we're talking about this for a specific reason. I mean, this is what Bellator is okay. doing and it's what you got to do. But you put it to me and I'm going to put it back to you and then we'll have a discussion after. Why are you excited about this not, in any not way, not. shape or form? Uh, You're not? I, I'm mildly excited in any time a pro wrestler comes over because I'm just curious how those skills translate. Shamrock, I'm mildly curious to see because I, I, I last time I was nervous. He couldn't move. He fell over at one point while he was just trying to do an evasive maneuver. That's not a great sign. And I think, I, yeah, wheel him back out there. I'll watch it again. Wheel him back out there. <laughs> Let's see. Good job, Kev. Let's see how uh, it goes. I'll say this. You may forget the fact that Kurt Angle is a gold medalist in freestyle wrestling. No one forgot anything, but you better okay. be careful how much hype of old people you have left because we still need to go over to the UFC on Fox card. So we're going to get there, but I just try need carefully, to very carefully. quickly tell you why I'm excited about this match. Okay. Yeah. Think about the possibilities. Okay. It doesn't have to be a straight up MMA match. It could be a first to ankle lock match. It could be a who makes it to the cage. Like it's kind of like. A cage match in wrestling where you need to jump over, except yeah. the it's like inverse. It's awesome. like whoever makes it to the cage wins. <laughs> uh, and worst case scenario, you could see an MMA match between the two. And I'll tell you why that excites me. Because that match would kill Bellator 100%. And I'm willing to see it happen. I mean, <laughs> you're, it'd you're be convinced sad. that'd be the nail? I think it's a, I think it'd be one of the most highly rated pieces of. I can't even call it entertainment. I can't call it sports. I can call it spectacle. It'd be one of the highest rated spectacles, at least in the past three years. I think it clears three million people who tune in for it. 
And then I think very quickly something terrible happens because one of them breaks a hip or I don't know. I mean, whatever. And then some shady finish happens. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you find Bellator on the defensive because, Kev, I want to tell you, uh, we were listening to a podcast, another podcast this weekend, NPR show called Criminal. Okay. You heard? No, I have not. It's it's good. I, I enjoy it. Um, but the reason I bring it up is because my wife, every time she put it on, she was like, why are you laughing? I go, because every time I hear the word criminal, there's a sound bite in my head of Dana White referring to the WEC when something went down and it looked like it was actually, yeah, it was a fixed fight, quote unquote, between Ken Shamrock and Kimbo Slice. Or it was another Kimbo Slice with uh, yeah. Seth Petrozoli, right? Yeah. So the clip is Dana White being asked by a reporter, hey, what do you think about this? And Dana White's like, see, they can't fix that fight, okay? Because here's what would happen, and here's this, and you can't do that when you've got people who are fucking betting on it. That's fucking illegal. And I swear to God, Kev, that one second clip of him saying, that's fucking illegal, is what my brain triggers to anytime somebody (laughs) says the word criminal. So You're so lucky. It's so good. Oh. I'll share it with you later in the podcast. But it is my favorite soundbite. <laughs> it's illegal. <laughs> That's fucking illegal. And I <laughs> giggle every time. So, yes, anytime my wife played an episode of Criminal, I just laugh. And she goes, are you laughing at That's fucking illegal. And I was like, absolutely. And I can't just stop sorry. it. It's Go a long on. drive. Let's talk life. UFC on Fox. UFC on Fox starring... Vitor Belfour, the number four ranked middleweight, versus Dan Henderson, the number 12 ranked middleweight. And I am not excited for this fight whatsoever. Why? I believe Vitor Belfour is going to pretty handily put down the Hendo, and I just don't need to see that for Hendo. So how many times have we seen this fight before? feels like 15 or so i don't remember i really don't know i did ask you how many lifetimes they've lived <laughs> but yes Wait, somebody i oh hold on i saw a funny promo today where they were like this is a fight that's been years in the making and i was like boy that's an understatement it's <laughs> uh, mean <laughs> it was that's their fault i didn't i didn't say it out loud they set you up for it. It was oh, really bad. I, I just, as they said it, I, I crippled over. I was like, that's true. Uh, uh, are you excited about this fight? And who do you think is going to win? You know, it's going to happen. It'll make its way onto my TV. Anyway, Hendo's uh, winning this fight. Let's I'd love to see it happen. Okay. I really would. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, great, great answer. Well, anyway, I, right uh, answer. do you uh, want to uh, see? Do you have a, a certain particular. Feel as to who should be winning this fight? I already said I think Belfort is going to go uh, go juice his way through this one because I mm. can't help but notice where they're fighting. Though, frankly, wait mm. a minute because that does mean Hendo can go go juice too. No, that's not how that works. You know Especially if you've been following, I believe, the dead spin coverage of the UFC covering up Vitor Belfort's failed drug test. Uh, to which my official response is probably. But the UFC vehemently denies it. Um, no way. No, I know. I don't really ask Dana. Do you know we fucking did it? I fucking am so proud of that. 
Dana White one day is going to have the Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I fucking ordered the code red and I do it fucking again. I save lives. Uh, <laughs> I guess. No. I Yeah. Well, if they're both doing it, then great. Otherwise, I think it's going to be Belfour. Yeah. Um, otherwise, great undercard. You've got some Guida, some Trujillo, a uh, ton of cool people on this fight. I'll be watching because I actually am just really in the mood for some MMA. Yeah. Jones in for it. I've been yep, moving. Definitely. haven't been able to just sit and watch some MMA rap. Well, now you get to. I mean, you literally get to sit and watch it. I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, won't be doing a ton of standing. <laughs> I'm so excited for Tim Kennedy. We don't have a ton to say other than he's tracking down Hitler, which he probably didn't think was going to be an option, but he's going to be on the History Channel, and I'm in. I watched a promo, and I'm in. Can I pose this to you? Go for it. Um, Hunting did Hitler. We, did we already get Hitler, though? You know, we thought we did, but we also... You could never be too sure. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover was straight, according to history. You know, people fucking lie about things. Sure. I mean, Hitler, you know, the whole suicide, whatever, blah, 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 Hitler, blah, blah, blah. Here's what I'll say about this, Kev. I like that story better, if that's helpful. I guess. But how much cooler would it be if, even if, quote unquote, you believe Hitler is dead, uh, that Tim Kennedy goes to find him out again? Like, what if... Hitler being dead is like not good enough for Tim Kennedy, and he wants to go. He's like, bring him to me again. I want to kill him again because I love America. And he finally, and frankly, we're talking about a matchup that would get Tim back in the cage. Um, I don't think we're going to see it, but tune into yeah. the History Channel. We'll find out. That's what's going to happen. We're going <laughs> to definitely find out. Hey, Misha Tate is upset at the UFC, mm-hmm. and do we want to? Do you want to defend? I think the wording ruined my life is a little strong. Uh, what are you talking about? I, I think she just compared them to mean girls. Yeah, well, they're life ruiners. They ruin lives, Kevin. That's what the UFC does. Dana is the ultimate mean girl. If we're yeah, using yeah. super apt comparisons, but this is a classic case of they just shouldn't have told her she was getting the title shot. That's not something you should just tell people. Don't say somebody- that. It's all avoided. Yeah, we had somebody online. I think it was Dan Halpin or Happen. I don't know. Sorry, Dan, if I'm screwing this up. But uh, I believe he was saying, isn't this a little extreme? And I'm like, you're right. Misha Tate is going the extra mile to say something super dramatic. But did it work? Yes, it did because it got you talking about it in the headlines. So she's running a very savvy, if kind of hilariously phrased, uh, strategy here because I agree. When I saw the headline, I go, well, that's a weird thing to say, but I am reading it, so I guess it worked. Good job, Misha. Um, I don't know that it needs to be that dramatic, but she's she's definitely mad, and I think she wants to make a statement that she's willing to potentially retire. And it even got Joe Rogan talking about it where he's saying defensively he feels bad for her. She makes a fraction of what Ronda makes. She was promised a title shot, and he didn't even go too deep on that one because probably – doesn't the UFC want to. Would get, you know, pissed yeah. off that. Well, that's going to be. He also has to be careful because thanks MMA journalists for taking every everything he says in any context <laughs> and turning it into twenty second clips and posting yeah. it on your site. That's great. We love it. We can't get enough of Joe Rogan's thirty second half ideas on things. 
especially when half of it is just him explaining what the fuck he thinks happened. Uh, but <laughs> I, I will say I do feel bad for Misha. I think what she's doing here, more than just creating the headlines, is she's creating she's creating the negotiating ploy for her. She deserves it. She's a hard and worker. I think she's saying. I'm worth enough to the company where I am a draw. So now I'm going to use that leverage against you guys when I go back to the negotiating table. And, you know, it's within her right to do that because I can guarantee you that's what that whole thing is about is so that she can gauge or get fan interest to rally behind her. And some MMA fans won't be into it. I completely understand that. But I still feel that because she holds the higher ground on them frantically calling that a title fight, she still can run with that and say, like, oh, woe is me, or can you guys believe it? Just sympathize with me. Wouldn't that suck? So there's that. Yeah, and if we're given that uh, post some comment love, Stafford Davis also commented in agreement with us about them needing a PR person that channels the Dana mm. uh, to just stop promising people title shots. Like, seriously, because it's, <laughs> it's really annoying. It's hard to track. Mm. Definitely. <laughs> Excuse me. So we're still team Misha. Hey, Paul Harris, two years for holding the lock. Mm -hmm. That seems like a uh, pretty fair snub. I'm <laughs> honestly surprised it wasn't more. How long do you think they should have held it? Five. Like five years? This one, I think you don't you think they should have let it go gone. right away. They I don't. I think they should have maybe just held it a smidge longer. Okay. I think it's very I think it's I think they're being the bigger people here showing a pretty nice example that you I can think they were just waiting for somebody time. to step in. I think that was the official uh, note from the athletic commission. They were just waiting for a ref to come in and be like, no, no, too dangerous. Let it go. You're going to hurt his ability to make money. Yeah. And we might see Nick Diaz before we see Paul Harris again, which would just such be a shame. Is this way? Let me double check. I'm let me make sure I, I read exactly what I was reading here. I'm pretty sure we put this up and we put up the thing about Polaris and somebody goes free Nick Diaz. And I go, how? How are we here? <laughs> We like, just are. You always get the fucking free Nick Diaz. I hope you guys because it's all the uh, same, Raph. They're all the same infractions. It's all the same people. That's I hope those people also go on like highly political discussions from their friends, and it's just like Doctor Ben Carson today, and they're like free Nick Diaz. So I feel if you do it for our sport, you got to do it for every other thread you see on the internet. They check out at Petco, and they're like, "Would you like to donate a dollar for pet research?" For L, they're like free Nick Diaz. 209 bitch, and then they run out of the is store. That a yes, or <laughs> is that no a yes? Well, the they've dollar. already stolen at that point. They might <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, so that's a good free Nick Diaz, people. <laughs> so we might see him fight in 2016. That'd be sure, great. why not? That'd be great. Um, I'm excited for Halloween to be over so I don't have to see that commercial again. You're I'm talking about the Ronda one, yes. Okay, the kids are in some of them are in scary costumes. But they're not scared, and then this girl comes out dressed as Ronda Rousey, and then everyone's scared. It's just very hard to track. It's like UFC, maybe not with the kids to hype your fight that's sponsored by Bud Light and like all of the adult things. It's just maybe leave the kids out of the commercials. 
Maybe I just didn't care for it. I thought it's one of those weird ones where I go, I see the UFC commercial division is trying to get a little more creative. That they are. They are definitely trying to get creative with this Rousey fight. In fact, it's like they ripped out four new chapters out of the introductory commercials lessons. Mm-hmm. They're like, we got to vary it up. No more just showing them training in a gym. Uh, we got to make confusing plot lines. Uh, there has to be character aging. You guys, we've been wanting to do that time delay thing for years. Let's do that. So, I just I feel like someone has to let them know you nice. can't win an Oscar for a TV commercial. But you can try though, Raph, and that's you, mm-hmm. their motto. Well, <laughs> pretty sure the rules say you know what. Let them find out. It's fine. Uh Last, and we're going to get to a few grappling topics because this is a blast just uh, ripping through these. Lovato teases a little Galvo Nogi, says they've never fought. There are a few platforms where uh, people could make that happen and they should. Absolutely. I would love to see that. Lovato go a little Nogi against Galvo. That's Galvo's territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean,. I think Lovato is really backing it up because for Halloween he went as Bruce Lee Vato. And, um, you know, I think he's just taking his training way more seriously with that. Maybe. And he's feeling the zen, you know, starting to kick some MMA ass. Got to pull out the big guns, man. His confidence is up. He's like, oh, Gavon's not going (laughs) to try to hit me, probably. (laughs) I also give a little shout out to Christian Woodmansey who fought Jeff Glover at Subcon. It was a fun little fight. Yep. It was little because it was three and a half minutes, and they combined equal the weight of my leg. But it was fun. I dare you to call Christian Little the next time he's on the podcast. It's not little. It's just as they're zipping around the mat. It's mm-hmm. I feel like he would choke me, and I wouldn't notice we started fighting. And that's my fear. Yeah. yeah. All right. You uh, want to go talk to John? Yeah, let's go do that. We're going to go do that. Raph's back from Vegas, and I'm off painkillers. Verbal Tap fans, we love having guests back. Uh, some guests. I'm still not sold on people like Tim Kennedy, if we're just being honest, Raph. But, you know, it's not about that right now. We have a great guest back on. TapCancerOut.org. Really curious to see them headed to San Diego, which we're going to ask John about now. John Thomas, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Glad to be back. I did not know last time we were chatting. I guess I knew you guys were headed alternate locations. What takes you out to San Diego? That seems like a really instinctively smart place to go do jiu-jitsu, so I'm just curious. Yeah, so we made our first trip out there last January, um, and it was amazing. Um, it, it was uh, a pretty incredible trip just for the tap cancer out team uh, in general to be able to, you know, meet all of our uh, West coast fans to hear their stories. And of course to host a really fun tournament uh, at the university of San Diego, you know, where hold up here in the Northeast, uh, we run a tournament in Connecticut and a tournament in Massachusetts that we've done for the last 
four years in Connecticut, three years in Massachusetts. So Tropical. we wanted to expand, and we, we <laughs> yeah, we made it out to uh, San Diego. Obviously, a hotbed. You could have just said activity. So. You could have just said we did the last few in Connecticut, and that would have satisfied the answer. But I like the backstory a lot. <laughs> Good job, Kev. Uh, well, I have to ask you this though, John, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but this is an important question. Shoot. Okay, why is San Diego so much better than the other places that you've held uh, tap cancer out before? Did I say it was better? Just, oh, no, I just I mean, want to know the answer, the definitive <laughs> answer for the real, what should be the right answer. But go on, please. Uh, well, it's a nice place to be in January. Certainly better than uh, <laughs> Connecticut, that's for sure. Do people even feel like grappling when it's that cold? Do they just go there and uh, they go? Uh, not here. Oh, no, yeah. It's, pre- it's, it's pretty funny uh, training in the Northeast. Um, you know, the summers are really, really hot, and everyone has that, like, excuse, oh, it's too hot. Especially, you know, I've trained at a, a, a couple schools, um, and the, the where we were in the first one was in a garage. So, well... Yeah, it was big, but it was still a garage yeah. and, and very little uh, heating and air conditioning. So super hot in the summer, totally freezing in the winter. You know, it takes you a half hour, 45 minutes just to warm up. Uh, you know, maybe you drill for a few minutes and then you're like, all right, I'm ready to go. I tore my ACL because so, uh, it's eight degrees in here. I'm just going to call it a day. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, we were like, where can we go in January that that would be a fun place to host a tournament and, uh, you know, nice and sunny and maybe a little bit warm. And uh, San Diego was the spot. So, obviously, we want to uh, come back there again this January. Now, you, did you – was it last January that you came? I'm starting to lose my dates here because I know that you did come out here uh, within the past year and not the first question I asked, but what was it that made it so unique? I, obviously, there's a plethora of people down there. Yeah, we came um, like the third, second or third weekend in January last year, um, which is uh, we'll be back uh, the 16th in January this year. Uh, you know, it, it's what was what's been in, uh, really life changing for me as far as tap cancer out and um, sort of something I didn't expect, but probably should have was connecting with all of the people in the jiu-jitsu community and really hearing their stories. I always thought like the narrative would be about how we're all helping. Mm. Uh, but it was, it's really like I've, when I started it, I didn't even know that one of my teammates was a cancer survivor. And he, you know, he, wow. he pulled up his pant leg and showed me the big scar. And he's like, Oh yeah, I can't, you know, and it's like, Oh my God, I didn't even know that, you know, and I roll with them every single day. And it was stories like that. It was people who were had had just finished chemotherapy and were competing at our tournament and it was their first tournament ever there were people who were um michael durbin one of the most uh, incredible people i've ever met was a, a white belt probably in his late 30s early 40s who um was undergoing chemotherapy and was competing at our tournament and he had he was had the jitters and he's like, you know, I don't have the jitters cause I'm nervous. I have the jitters because that's what chemo does to you. Mm. And I was like, all right, I, I, I have no excuses to be like scared of competing uh, <laughs> myself anymore. Like being nervous, like what's the worst that can happen? You know, like these people are doing incredible things and 
um, you know, people competing in honor of their friends who had passed away the weekend before. And I wouldn't even be able to think about competing. And so it's it's been those being able to go out to San Diego and meet, you know, these people that I normally wouldn't be able to meet and hearing their stories. Last year, uh, we had a father competing um, in honor of his son who was in the hospital undergoing cancer treatment. And they uh, were uh, not just recording the match, but facetiming his matches and you could see in the phone his son sitting on the hospital bed watching his dad compete uh and it's uh, and he happened to be our top fundraiser too uh so it's like these incredible stories that i never really um knew that i would be able to be a part of and and to to be to be a little bit a part of these people's lives and to give them an outlet and a way to uh, compete for others and to do the sport that they love and still like, help the greater community. That's um, been pretty amazing. So uh, I'm, I'm so happy that we get to go back out to the West Coast and, and revisit those people and, and meet new people and hear um, new stories and um, do some good. Now, I know that you say that you're raising money, but how much money are you losing with all the clinics that you need to have for all of these stories? Because I was just going to say, like, if you have any referees <laughs> or staff nearby, everyone's oh, just goodness. like, oh, just, just, just no, it's just something in my eye. It's fine. I have some acai seeds <laughs> in my eye. I can push eye. the okay, microphone everybody. away. Like, how do you handle that? Yeah, in the it of a gets tournament? pretty dusty. It's a lot of allergies, especially wow. in San Diego in January. It's a lot of yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It could be That's really cool. Did you at all get any chance to come out this way and train at all? Was it just so business? Like at a certain point when you get so micro-focused, do you allow yourself any time to just kind of enjoy San Diego at all? <laughs> uh, well, last year it was a quick trip. Uh, we came in on Friday and left on Sunday, so I did not get to train. I have had the opportunity uh, to go out to San Diego on different occasions. So stayclassy.org is the software platform uh, and amazing organization um, that ho- hosts all of our fundraising software and actually our registration software and, and uh, mumbo jumbo uh, they help us with. And uh, so I've been able to go out and visit them on uh, different occasions. They're headquartered there right in San Diego um, and I actually have been able to train. I stopped by um, Atos actually and got a private from Keenan Cornelius. So I fanboyed uh, over that a little bit. And actually, we're going to go out a day earlier. So we're going to go out on that Thursday before our tournament. Um, so some of us on the team can um, visit some schools. We want to stop by Studio 540 um, in particular. Uh, we've been chatting up those guys, uh, and they're actually going to be a huge help with the tournament. So uh, we'll get in some training this time. I was not able to get in last time. Good for you. I do I'm try glad. to frequent San Diego. I'm glad that you learned uh, your lesson, and maybe just a little bit of time for you wouldn't hurt. Uh, because that's the worst part is those last few days, I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff that you can do. But, like, once you put in all of that planning, there's certain amounts where you just kind of have to let it happen. So, you know. Just if the the tournament fails, no one's gonna reflect poorly on you, you know. And if it does, who cares? You got a private from Keenan, exactly. So you now, can do whatever you want. Here's the thing: Kevin and I aren't in the same room, but I can guarantee you we're thinking the exact same thing right now. Which is, so do you care to talk about what you worked on with Keenan? 
that will never be mentioned. Ooh, wow. Wow. He showed me some secret, some secret, some secret sauce. Did you have to sign a non disclosure (laughs) agreement (laughs) with Keenan? No, not with Keenan, with Keenan online, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Keenan, the person, much less changed. (laughs) No problem at all. He's just like, but my robot internet side. Uh, I did not have to sign a non-disclosure, um, but uh, you know it's it's pretty incredible because he's like an encyclopedia, and you know I've had I was having all sorts of problems. Like I'm a I'm a long, lanky guy, so I'm uh, a collar sleeve guy, I'm a lasso guy, and um, I just told him, you know, I, I I love lassos, but I don't really feel like I have a lot of options. And he's like, all right, I got five for you right here. And it's a whole you know thing. And so uh, he helped me out a little bit with that. And really, any question I asked him, it was like, he was like, oh, please, you know, come on. Can we do something <laughs> a little more advanced? So, yeah, he was like, okay, okay. And uh, and I, I got to stay for the class afterwards, which um, was, you could tell, it obviously wasn't their competition class. So it was during the day. So in the evening, all the same competition guys were still there, but it was sort of like their hangout, have fun class. Meanwhile, two hours later, I'm like uh, kneeling over a bucket ready to vomit because all <laughs> of these guys are monsters. And, uh, you know, but they were uh, they were very, very nice. Um, Professor Gaval was there, of course, and uh, everyone was very welcoming. It must be weird. We're getting way off topic, but I always think it must be weird considering that uh, Atos and other schools there, you know, AOJ in California, that they're like tourists, BJJ tourists. And I, I can't imagine people just like waltzing into my school and being like, hey, love what you guys do. Can I train with you? And that happening every day. But they acted like I was their teammate and, and welcomed me. So it was really cool. That's awesome. And I mean, it's San Diego. So they're, they're used to it. People want to go where the nice beach and the sun is. So yeah. they're kind of they're used pretty, to it. They're, also, pretty, they're pretty laid back. Yeah, they're super laid back. And, and I'm, I'm coming in from a coming at it from a Northeasterner's perspective and, you know, we're pretty like rude and, um, you know, closed off. I didn't want to say anything, but I mean, that's the impression (laughs) I get every time we chat. Uh, I know Kevin, (laughs) Kevin, you probably also could speak to that just, uh, when you come and visit just as a jujitsu vagabond, when you occasionally are one yourself. Oh, I have definitely Raf can attest as you said. I'm leaning over vomiting. I was like, "Is he being literal?" Because I was vomiting last time I was in LA. We got done with the nogi session at Systems Training Center, where it was like seven straight nogi sessions. It's like, uh, I'll be right back. <laughs> so uh, I can attest. I'm a little curious about this though. What's your? Tell me about your jujitsu story. I know nothing about it. I don't know where you're at currently, belt wise. If you don't mind sharing that, and kind of how you got started, and uh, where you fell in love with it, because you know we hear a lot about tap cancer out. Where I'm curious about you. Yeah. So I started way back in 2008. You know the early days of jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a I'm a brown belt now under uh, Luigi Mondelli at American Top Team in Connecticut. Um, But, you know, I actually, I played team sports all through growing up. And in high school, I actually started to specialize in volleyball, uh, played club in college, coached, you know, played on men's teams and stuff after college. Like, I was all in on volleyball. How tall are you? Um, You know, 
I'm just six feet. I wasn't tall enough to be really good. Okay, you said uh, you were was, uh, lanky, so I was like, do we have a spiker yeah. all of a sudden? I'm just curious about the logistics. <laughs> Kevin wanted to make yeah, sure he was I, still the tallest person on the call. Oh, I was just sizing him up. Yeah, Raph. I always, you always got to know. It's like, is this a ginormous wait, brown exactly belt? Like what you were working on, Kevin was like, lasso guard, eh? Mm. <laughs> okay, just yeah, jotting yeah, it down yeah. in my personal Tips binder. Keenan. Okay, done. noted. <laughs> <laughs> That's not hard to mimic. Training at Atos. All right. No, sorry. Exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. So. Go so. Um, but you know, after college, it was uh, exceedingly hard to get a team together, enter tournaments, and do all that thing, that stuff. So it was like hard to play. It's not like basketball where you can just go down to the courts and like people are playing. Uh, yeah. You can't do that. And even if like you go to the beach or whatever, and people are playing, they all are really bad. Um, because nobody actually like tries to get good at volleyball unless you know they actually play in a team or anything like that. So it was it was uh, hard to play, and I was increasingly a fan of uh, the UFC. And actually, WEC is really what what got me into it. I I loved all of those early uh, WEC cards, even before they were just 155, 45, 35. Even when they had you know all of the weight classes, um, I just got into it. And uh, sort of thought to myself, I'd like to get in shape. Um, you know, I would go to the gym four or five times a week just lifting, but by myself. So I wanted to get in shape. I wanted to be part of a team. But if I was going to compete, I didn't want to have to depend on getting six, five or six other guys together and hoping that they don't flake out the day before the tournament mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And, um, or just like playing in some lame rec league. So jujitsu afforded me the opportunity to be part of the team. But when it came to competing, I could just sign my name on the dotted line. And that's all that mattered. I didn't even need a coach, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and of course it's a great workout. So it was everything I wanted. So I would just walk in the, uh, at that time, there were only two schools within like a half hour drive of where I lived and worked. Um, so I literally just picked one out of a hat. It was ultimate MMA in North Haven, Connecticut. And uh, I went there. Violent sounding name. <laughs> Ultimate MMA and, uh, yeah. is like such a yeah. definitive. And, uh, you will be done. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And uh, I started my jiu-jitsu journey there and never looked back. Never really ever took a break from training. No like major, major injuries. Some, you know, sprained LCLs and busted up fingers and you know um hyperextended elbows and all that stuff but luckily nothing that kept me off the mat for a long time so i just tried to stick with it you know i'm not like uh, a super competitor or anything i probably compete like three times a year um but i just try to stay with it go you know two three four times a year i have a two-year-old now so it's uh, increasingly difficult to uh, get to class on a regular basis i was gonna so, say three times a year with a two-year-old that's like 25 times a year if you don't have a two-year-old running around. It's okay. In about 20 years, I'm going to send that two-year-old this podcast and be like, your dad was talking mad trash about you. He was like, <laughs> I would be like so I've been trading since I was two. I'm if ready. Let's here, do this. Where is whatever. the old man? <laughs> uh, one thing I want to ask you because you have so many people. You have a nice mix of folks in jiu-jitsu. Uh, you have the, the athletes who kind of want something else, like a new challenge that they go to. They don't want to go the way of doing, you know, pick up all they don't want to do the the way of going to golf and being boring there you know what was it like that transition of being an athlete and coming into the sport like that because on the other side you have those people who are like oh, i was never much of an athlete but 
then I just got super good at this because of the smartness and et cetera. So for you, what was it like making the transition just from athlete to different kind of athletic challenges? It was, you know, as everyone knows, the learning curve with jujitsu is massive. And it was the, the first like three months in particular were maddening. You know, you just feel so lost. Uh, the first time, the very first class, we did judo rolls in my first, no. you know, I didn't, I didn't know that you needed to like, uh, just do like two or three judo rolls. Okay. So I'm just doing like roll after roll after roll after roll. So I do like seven or eight in just like one run down the mat and I get up and I just, I just go left <laughs> and I slam into the wall and fall down. And I was just like, Oh my God, what am I in for? And, um, you know, I was getting destroyed. I couldn't do anything as we all know. Um, but it, it, it just fueled like this fire inside of me, like, all right, well, I'm just, I need to keep coming. I can't miss a class because I got to get better. I'm, I hate being the worst one here. I just got to get better. I just got to get better. And, you know, I, it was, it was frustrating for a long time, but then eventually you're not the, um, low man on the totem pole. And eventually you do tap someone or you get a sweep, maybe you sweep a blue belt or something and you're like, oh my God. What just happened? Like, I think I'm learning. This. Anything's possible. And, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's and, uh, you know, I told myself I didn't want to, I didn't want to wait to compete. Like if I waited till I was ready and this is sort of what helped me in tap cancer out. Like if you wait until everything is perfect, you, that moment will never come. So I just told myself you're competing, even though you're terrified and you're going to crap your pants and you think that you're horrible and you're, you're way worse than all these other guys. And so I just signed myself up for a Naga and uh, I won my first match, and it was like it was the most incredible feeling ever. Like I couldn't believe I was actually able to beat someone, and that changed like, everything for me. And um, I just you know stayed with it. And you have your team and your teammates, and they become your friends. And um, it was everything I wanted from uh, both a sport and a martial art. And you know, I'm staying in shape and I'm competing. And then you realize, oh, by the way, I'm actually learning how to defend myself should anything ever happen, especially, you know, uh, when I started in jiu-jitsu, I was engaged and then I'm married and now I have a child. And it's nice to know that I uh, can handle myself. And um, so there are just so many benefits. And then, you know, you meet all the interesting people and hear the stories. And um, I love it. I just want to make sure that we're all hearing that right. Um, you did just say that you learned for self-defense, and then the next persons you were talking about were your family. So I just want to make sure I was engaged. That, now he's married, and the jiu-jitsu really helps. You know that just, you weren't insinuating right. that you were learning self-defense because, man, I don't know if this wife's going to come after me. She's got some great, great pa pressure passing, and I just, I don't know. She's got a mean right hook, and she gets really angry about well, the Patriots. Well, uh, have, you, have you tried to hold a two-year-old down on a changing table who doesn't want to get changed? <laughs> it's uh, like you get recently? the side control. You put the shoulder pressure right to the side of his face. <laughs> you know, you're, you're leg dragging him to try to get his, you know, his pants on and uh, oh yeah, and it doesn't even matter all that stuff. You cannot hold this guy down, no matter no matter no. if you're a black belt or a red belt. It doesn't matter. You're not holding that kid down. So they don't, uh, they don't yeah, have any coral belts for uh, diaper changing yet. No. Maybe you can be the first, uh, John. I think the other question I had for you was, 
because you have a different set of uh, competition, this is something I was just explaining to somebody this weekend, which is I had an athlete uh, doesn't really understand jujitsu was talking with them. And I made mention of the idea that's like, oh, yeah, you got to get used to the fact when you come here, you're not always going to win. And I must have set off some sort of weird like alert in his brain because he was like, what do you mean you don't always win? I was like, well, you know, you, sometimes you get tapped or you, you don't always win a bunch, but you're learning and it's actually really, really helpful. You know, what was the transition like for your competitiveness, say, in a different sport to here? Was it a different because you mentioned the learning curve? But was it also a competition curve? And I, I feel that that's something that you also can attest to having put on your own tournaments and seeing it yourself, maybe to evaluate yourself from then to now. Yeah, so uh, competition is uh, a unique thing. You know, no matter how much I compete, and I, having done this for, I don't know, seven years now, and competed a decent amount, you think that like the butterflies will go away and, and they never really do. And it's, you know, jujitsu has a lot of physical benefits also, but, um, the benefits of turning you into someone that's like mentally tough, um, I think is very, very underrated. Um, uh, especially in a, a tournament setting, you know, where, playing volleyball, you go to a tournament, you're going to play. So this is what I think is a bit unfortunate about jiu-jitsu tournaments. But, you know, with volleyball, basically each guy pays 20 bucks. You know you're going to play from 9 in the morning till like, 3 in the afternoon. Uh, you'll play probably uh, five matches with 10, you know, 10 or 12 games total. Like, you're going to play all day. You could pay $120 to go compete in the New York Open and you might get tapped in 10 seconds. And you're like, oh, my God. I just cut weight and ate all the food that I hate for two weeks. And uh, I drove all the way here, paid $120 for like 10 seconds. And that, and that's happened to me before, you know, shooting in, guillotine, standing guillotine is over. And you're like, oh, my God, what the heck just happened? So uh, it's competing is um, a difficult thing, but it's something that I have forced myself to just continue to do because the lessons that you learn in competing, and it's cliche and I think you hear it a lot, but I think it's totally true. How much you learn competing um, is the equivalent of like three, four, five, six months of just being on the mat. You learn so much about yourself, um, especially, you know, in your wins, uh, but even in your losses and exposing your um, your weaknesses and you know being willing to to work on that and seeing how you perform under pressure, seeing how much better you perform if your like teammates are there and and how much that adrenaline can help and it's a very unique scene. Um, what I love about our tournaments and you know people take them very seriously. They don't like to lose um, and you know, uh, they want to do a good job, but it's such a friendly atmosphere at tap cancer out tournaments. People realize that they're there for way more than just the medal. Um, and I've seen so many people, uh, start off as competitors and then, uh, you know, we come back the next year and they're hanging out with each other because now they're friends. And uh, I think 
that's something very unique about tap cancer out and about the, the atmosphere. So I often hear people saying, well, you know, I'd love to do your tournament. I just, I've never done a tournament before. I'd like to do, you know, something like really small and local or something it's like, no, 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 no. This is the best place for you. If it's your first tournament or if it's your 500th tournament, you know, it's very, very well run on time. We invest a lot of money in making sure that everything is run efficiently and on time that you have a great tournament experience because I've been through tournaments, particularly very bad ones. And, uh, I hate those and I think it's inexcusable. So, uh, we make sure that it's not only efficiently run, but it's really fun. And it's, I guess as low stress as it can be, there's always stress in competition, but, um, you know, that's something that I take pride. So I, I mean, I think, competition is very very um, crucial for uh, any jiu-jitsu practitioner and competitor if you want to learn something about yourself but again jiu-jitsu is such a great sport because it's so malleable like you can be a, a competitor who's uh, at tournaments every weekend or you can never compete in your life and you're still going to get so many benefits out of it so uh, yet another reason why i love it you guys are killing me raf it's not helping why i just i'm ready to return oh Oh yeah, we should mention this, uh, John. Uh, Kevin recently had surgery on his knee, so two weeks ago. Um, it's a lot of like living vicariously through me right now, which is a terrible thing <laughs> for anybody's jiu-jitsu experience. But Kevin asking me like, "Would you work on today? Was it a sweep? Was, were, were, did you work on passing? What's guys, the drills that you guys struggling did? with? I can't do this every day. I just feel terrible. Just watching a lot of deep half guard videos on YouTube. So, yeah. and my point was going to be, uh, John, you communicate this really well, and uh, I do the the semi amateur competing as well. Um, did while healthy, and you know, kind of earned to get back to it, just because it's been a while. And uh, that's that's sort of what I get out of it. I have zero chance of ever being like any sort of world champion. Um, with my Which competitive arts, uh, but I do totally like it. Fine. I like the I like the atmosphere and I like the craziness. Yeah, you know it's it, it's. I don't know if anyone else has this sort of similar experience, but like in the weeks leading up to a tournament, I you know I'm very dialed in, but I'm like super nervous when I get to the tournament. If I see people like walking out who are already finished, whether they won or lost, I'm like, oh, damn, I'm jealous. I wish I was just done with this. Yeah. This is horrible. I'm so, you know, like I'm totally paranoid about when my division's going to go. And like I warm up, I cool down, I warm up, I cool down. Uh, I never warm up at the right time, so I'm super cold. And, uh, you know, but like when I'm out there competing, you don't even think about it. it it's just like a huge adrenaline rush. And, um, you know, when it's all said and done, it, it's not great to lose. But um, as soon as I finish, whether win or lose, I'm like, oh my god, when is the next tournament? I got to sign up for another tournament. Yeah. This is so great. I love it. Like, um, Losing is also never that bad. Again. Like it always happens, and you're like, yeah, yeah. that sucked. Oh well. Like, it just never quite yeah. really then, hits you like you think or you fear. Um, and everyone always looks like a monster when I'm about to fight them. I don't know why. They're just always right. really ripped and tall. It seems like. It's... <laughs> bizarre how that happens uh you were also saying and this has to be a a similar parallel as you're and this is my question you like the tournament atmosphere you create do you compete at these no 
Okay, I was um, I was gonna be shocked, but, Raph, but I honestly the way he was like, it's such a great atmosphere. I was like, wait, wait, wait. what are you doing while these are going on? Well, Kev, see, there's this uh, thing called running a tournament. Um, yeah, it's not like super cruise control. It's not like you push a button on a car and you are just kind of sure? like coast for. I'm because I've Kev, heard from Dana, and it sounds like you just hit play. No, no, Kevin. No, he's usually behind the scenes doing about a million different things. I would say this, though. This is my question to you, though, John. You said that you go to other tournaments and you compete at them, and you were alluding to this, but I do want to hear a little bit more out of your brain, which is how hard is it for you to not be wanting to direct the tournament as you are participating in it? I ask this very specifically because – a majority of the comments I hear about your your tournaments that you run are very positive in that they're a well-run tournament. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass because there was literally a Reddit BJJ post that said tap cancer out was fucking phenomenal. So you're doing something right if, A, you're making Reddit BJJ say something nice about you, and B... Uh, they had to use the F-bomb to describe your tournament, which think about all the tournaments there are in existence. And usually those F-bombs are for a different reason for those tournaments. So anyway, going back to that, is it hard for you to kind of turn off the directing switch when you go to something? Um, Yes. So I will, uh, you know, IBJJF has their fault for sure, but I went to the... Uh, the New York Open was what I competed in most recently at some point this year. I don't even know when it was. It was really hot for almost been summer. And, um, man, they had, like, television screens and, um, like, a whole rundown of when you're going to go. And there was, like, a lot of technology and stuff that made me, like, think about tap cancer out. And I'm like, man, we need some monitors for the scoreboard. Like, we need all these things. So I definitely take a lot of notes at the tournaments when they do things well. And I, you know, I'll, I'll give them their props. You know, we're slowly uh, bolstering our tournament experience as far as like technology is concerned with scoreboards and um, things like that. And, you know, like live streaming and, you know, we don't have anything like that. Um, so there are some tournaments that are doing some really, really cool things. Um, but if I go to a tournament and, you know, the table workers are just, like completely incompetent and don't care and don't pay any attention. Uh, the referees are completely lost or half of them are trying to compete and then like run to a mat and um, ref. If, if a tournament touts itself as being like one of the world's biggest and you go there and there are 24 mats set up, but only three of them are actually active, you know, it's like, it's completely unacceptable. The, you know, the ring, the, the the bracketing table if they don't know what's going on. I went to a tournament once where the the people at the bracketing table eventually gave up and just handed all of us in the brown belt division our uh, our bracket and said just write your name. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, hold on, I need I, to think about this for a second. Had you been because... waterboarding him prior to this? <laughs> You guys were torturing. Is the best thing I've ever heard because I would be yeah. the first one. I would have grabbed it first come first serve. Been like, hey, look who got the buy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started to like size up everybody around me, and of course, I made. I thought I was uh, choosing someone who because it was all absolute too. So it was just every weight class and brown belt. And, 
Um, I thought I was signing up next to a guy who was small, but of course, like this gigantic guy actually signed up in my bracket and I was screwed. But uh, yeah, it was crazy. You know, they tell you to get there an hour before your division. I make sure I'm there 90 minutes and it's six hours until my division actually goes. Like things like that, I think, are completely unacceptable in today's world um, when there are like services like Matalea. We use them for all of our bracketing. Uh, because our very first tournament, we did them all by hand, and we didn't. We started the tournament 40 minutes late, and I literally, I, I felt like I had let everybody down, and I was heartbroken, and I felt so bad. We still ended on time, exactly when I said we would, but the fact that we started 40 minutes late, I thought was completely inexcusable. And and I go to tournaments, and they start, you know, my division doesn't go six hours till uh, after it was scheduled, and I don't know like how people can stand that. So. I told myself, like, the one thing about Tap Cancer Art Tournaments, they might not be the biggest, uh, but I, I, I promise you they will be the best run. And uh, so we pride ourselves on that, and I invest in services to make sure that that happens. So um, the folks from Atelier come to every single one of our tournaments, fly out from Canada, um, and help us run the brackets. And, you know, they have uh, great software to do that, and people who have way more tournament experience than me who understand how to handle competitors, how to handle parents, which is very, very important, and coaches and things like that. So, um, you know, we do that, and uh, we're meeting with uh, a number of vendors uh, this year and early next year to upgrade our scoreboards, upgrade everything. So uh, it's going to get better and better. So, uh, you know, if you do happen to uh, show up and, you know, your match starts, you get uh, thrown onto your back and uh, armbarred. At least, you know, well, at least everything ran on time. <laughs> and uh, it was a fun experience. But It's the first um, concern most people yeah. have when they get thrown onto their back is, did this event yeah. start on time? And uh, I right. think we, we said this the last time uh, when we chatted, but uh, 40 minutes late is like on time in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> So no. I really I don't think you can knock yourself yeah. too much for that. But the second thing I'm thinking, and Kev, maybe you're thinking the same thing, which is when he's mentioning he's making mental notes, I still feel like he's mumbling to himself mid-match and his <laughs> opponent's like, dude, what did you just say about scoreboards? Like, what? Why are you worried about the concessions, bro? I have dude. you in a triangle. It's like, I just, it's hard to say. Do you have John's no respect for this armbar? Jesus, dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they should. We should check the inside of his gi after the next tournament. Then we'll have our answer. If all of a sudden we see like a list of things notched, like a referee's name. Uh, John, you were saying to us right before we started, you're also thinking about taking tap cancer out to Canada. Why? Well, who doesn't want to go to Canada, right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I really like Montreal. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, so we actually have some good friends in Canada, um, as I've mentioned numerous times. The folks from Atelier are, are from Ontario. Um, we have actually befriended uh, the good folks at Five Grappling, who are from the area as well, um, Ricardo and Dan. So um, they've been instrumental in, in helping us bring a Tap Cancer Art Tournament. You don't even want to know how close we were to having a tournament this year, or at least like announcing when the tournament would be. Uh, things fell through, but at least it gives us plenty of lead time to have one in 2016. We actually have a lot of support from people in Canada 
um, just, you know, buying our merchandise and even setting up fundraising pages and things like that, even though they know that the organization that is benefiting is U.S.-based, uh, they still want to make a difference. And I remember back when we did all of our merchandise sales and shipping from um, my guest room, uh, how many packages we'd send to Canada. So it's been a very uh, oft-requested area to have a tournament. It's also drivable, which is good for us, uh, so we could possibly save some costs there and at least some of us drive up there. We have some good uh, connections there in order to help us with maps and things like that. Um, because we don't have like a 16 wheeler to drive around the country or anything like that. We are all of us, uh, who work for tap cancer out have other full-time jobs and some other part-time jobs as well. So, um, you know, we can't like take a week off and drive all over the place. So it was, uh, it's a very rich territory in jiu-jitsu talent, um, and, uh, people willing to help and not super far from us. So it was uh, sort of a perfect storm. So, we're going to get one for 2016 for sure. So that will help, uh, help me reach one of my goals of having four tournaments in a year. We had three this year and, uh, we'll have one for every season next year. So we're excited. Okay. Well, looking forward to that, but January 16th, San Diego, let's get the message out. Let's tell people what they can do. Um, how do people get involved for San Diego? Yeah, so uh, we're going to be there January 16th. We'll be back at the University of San Diego, uh, who were uh, so welcoming of us last year in such a beautiful uh, venue. And uh, if you – all of the information, just go to tapcancerout.org. Uh, there's a huge banner right there on the homepage uh, to click on it. Uh, so registration and fundraising are open. Uh, so you can just register straight up for $60, which let's be real is not that expensive uh, for a tournament. And, uh, but even better, you can fundraise and you can compete for free. So if you fundraise $250, you're competing for free. If you fundraise over 400, you'll compete for free and you'll get a free t-shirt. If you raise 600, it's free entry t-shirt, tech cancer out rash guard. We have some Really, really cool rash guards, new rash guards coming out uh, early next year as well, hopefully in time for the tournament. Um, and then uh, even beyond that, we're going to have a number of uh, different vendors um, who, uh, and, and uh, jujitsu uh, brands who are signing on already to give us a bunch of cool swag to give away to our fundraisers. So um, it's it's really going to be a cool scene. Our goal is $30,000. Um for uh, St. Baldick's Foundation in our last uh, tournament to benefit them. They've been amazing. Uh, last year, the CEO of St. Baldick's uh, came down and was in tears at the tournament, um, just totally blown away by the support of the jiu-jitsu community and um, maybe a little frightened by what was going on on the mats, but uh, very, very thankful for what we're doing. So we're really making a difference in the world. This is the only jiu-jitsu tournament where you have that opportunity to make such a significant impact um, and still be able to do the sport that you love. Um, so uh, go register, start fundraising. The earlier you start, the easier it is to hit those goals. Of course, we reward our top four fundraisers with the free gi from Inverted Gear, uh, who have been our sponsors since day one. So that's awesome. Our top fundraising oh, yeah. team will get a banner for their school, a trophy, and some cool prizes. So 
Um, it should be really, really uh, awesome. Uh, Hanato Laranja, Uncle Hanach, was there last year, so uh, hopefully he'll come back and say hello, and you never know who's going to show up. So it should be a really, really fun time. I love the, the sneak preview at the end. It's uh, literally <laughs> a sneak preview of, of something something to come, you kids, or not. You never knows. know. You just never know. You never know. know. Mm, I don't know. You never know. Uh, it's true. It's true you don't. And uh, you were asking, or uh, you were not masking, you were mentioning the fact that you guys are going to be looking for someone new uh, to be putting all of the Good Forth fundraising efforts for. Is that correct? That is. You're a good listener. Uh, so our mission with Tap Cancer Out was to make as big of an impact uh, in the fight against cancer as we could. So very early on, we decided that we weren't going to just benefit one organization for the life of Tap Cancer Out, however long uh, we exist. So uh, we every two years, we look for a new partner. So we started with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, which was very near and dear to my heart because my nephew um, passed away at nine months uh, from leukemia. So we were able to do some uh, amazing work with them. And uh, then we moved on to St. Baldrick's. And when all is said and done over two years, we'll raise um, about $230,000 for them. And so we're looking to find our next beneficiary. And uh, St. Baldrick's was actually recommended by just one of our Tap Cancer Health fans. Let me know on, uh, on Facebook, uh, through the Tap Cancer Health Facebook page, and uh, just told me his story and why St. Baldrick's means a lot to him. And he'd really, really love if we supported them. So I looked into it, and uh, it seemed awesome. They were very, very receptive. And... Uh, they allow us to do some really cool things like pick the doctors and the grants that we fund. So That's there's actually a St. Baldrick Tap Cancer Out research grant. Um, and it actually, we fund uh, two halves of two grants. So uh, basically St. Baldrick's matches um, our $45,000 donation to one and our $45,000 donation to another. Um, so last year that was in, uh, the children's hospital of Boston and also at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, where my nephew was treated. And, and this year we were able to give one, uh, to a researcher just down the street from me in Yale, New Haven, uh, which is great because, you know, we've had four tournaments in Connecticut now. And, uh, also, um, at the university, uh, at, actually UCSD, uh, which is not the same as the university of San Diego, but still, uh, local, uh, San Diego University uh, researcher, we were able to fund his grant too. So we're really trying to make um, significant impact actually in the places where we're holding these events. So, you know, if you're competing or you're fundraising, you're not just, it's not just being sent to a big uh, conglomerate. We're not just taking your money and, uh, you know, uh, BJJ globe trotting around the world. Um, we're actually giving this to the, the doctors and the researchers right in your backyard who are treating uh, your, your, fr your friends, your family members, these people that you know, and they're, um, they're really working towards a cure. So um, we, 
uh, also this organization, I, I want to make as few decisions as possible. And that's not because I'm lazy, but it's because I've always wanted Tap Cancer Out to represent the jiu-jitsu community as a whole and to really show what jiu-jitsu was all about and really what what the people are like in jiu-jitsu, which obviously, as you guys know, a very um, um, a misperceived uh, community and uh, there are a lot of misconceptions. So um, it, it's, I want to hear from you guys and to know what you care about and the causes that you care about, no matter how big or small. Um, and um, I want this decision to be uh, one made by the entire jiu-jitsu community um, as a whole. So um, if you have any suggestions, John just shoot Thomas, me an email. too lazy to make a decision. <laughs> Exports. Exactly. And outsources to more competent people. Okay, great. The, the article writes itself, so that's the easy part to do here. John, I think it's so exciting. Obviously, we heard great things, and, and being plugged in the community as we are here in California, uh, everybody who I know who went had a great time. They spoke highly of it, and when they heard it was coming back, uh, I think there were a lot of people really, really, really stoked to see that. So on behalf of everybody here just on the California base, not only thank you for putting on a great event, but thank you for putting on another one because uh, I know how much you deeply care about this. So anytime we get to see something like that and uh, see you guys make it on out this way, I think it's a good, good thing. So uh, I'm hoping to try and just go down there and uh, say what's up to you guys and hopefully mess up the tournament. But I can't promise you I'll be there to mess up everything, maybe like 10% of the things that are going on. Don't hope, just do. <laughs> Great. We I didn't know that we had Yoda on the podcast the entire oh, Star time. Wars. Yeah, it is that time. I've, all, yeah. I've only seen one Star Wars, and it was episode one, and, uh, and people are distraught when they hear that. Hold on. Let's take a moment for this because I feel our audience <laughs> would want me to. John, what happened to you in your childhood that didn't allow you to have fun? Yeah, I don't know. I, we just never saw those movies. It's one of those things. There's a lot of gaps in my childhood. Like, every kid played soccer. I never played soccer. Like, and we had, like, fields, like, right next to our house. I never know. I, I don't miss it. I never wanted to play it, but it was just weird. And I never saw the Star Wars movies. Hockey? I don't know what to tell you. No, like, baseball, basketball, football. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if on did play soccer have not seen all the Star Wars movies. Also. Okay, first of all, not about you, Kevin. Second okay. of all, okay. I was just making sure if you played the white person soccer, which is hockey, but you didn't. So, okay. Uh, I'm just I'm trying to help you out here. Uh, yes, if you're going to see any Star Wars and give them a fair, fair shake, at least see the fourth episode. Because if you're watching the first one, it's made for five-year-olds. And to the best recollection I have here, you are not five years old. No, I haven't been for a long time. No. no, no, that's true. You have not been. So I think you owe it to yourself to at least watch four, five, six, at least four or five. I, I do. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to set up a binge watching session uh, with one of my friends who uh, almost passed out when I told him that today. Um, and uh, we're going to telling get, people uh, this actively. Yeah. Like, I thought yeah. you just slipped yes, and did some mistake, and no. I have to well, do I'm the super, right thing I'm giving you shit for it. I'm excited about about the new uh, the new Star Wars coming out, so oh, uh, I, I want to make sure I do my due diligence. So. I just I love I'm excited about this, and I have no reason why <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I have faith in in JJ Abrams. 
what uh, Star Trek. I didn't give to to you know what about uh, Star Trek, and but that movie was awesome. So That's I'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt. Those movies were good. I just like the movies. I have faith in J.J. Abrams. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Do not get that tattooed on your bodies, children. Uh, John, you're great. Your tournaments are great. Tabcancerout.org. We love talking to you. Uh, we, we look forward to talking to you again. Um, wishing you guys nothing but luck in San Diego, obviously. And uh, anything we can do in the meantime, you just let us know. I will. Thank you guys for having me. Love being on as usual. Barza, what a podcast. It's always fun to talk to people doing cool shit in jiu-jitsu because they always have a cool jiu-jitsu story. John Thomas, no different. Good people. Can I just say I had a one-second gut reaction where I was like, it's not Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's. It's John Thomas and... That can be really scary as a show host. You I'm just really letting people say that to him. No, no, no. I'm just letting people inside the process. I'm letting the podcast listener inside. You know, we get a lot of feedback. It's like, how are you guys thinking? What are you thinking during the podcast? People ask that a lot. You want to know what I was thinking during the podcast? What? Okay, I'm sending it to you right now. No, as this has got to be. And I always like when it starts with an NPR podcast. Hmm. <laughs> So, for those of you at home, uh, Kevin will now share what I just sent to him. <laughs> this is amazing. And uh, just they for sh- clarification, it was not WEC. It was Elite XC. I did know that, but I thought they labeled it as WEC. It is Elite XC. So, very, very sorry if I misled you guys there because the UFC obviously bought WEC. But, yes. It was the Kimbo Slice uh, Seth Petrozoli fight. And Kevin, what did Dana say again? And how did he say it? It's, it's like, that is fucking illegal. <laughs> That's fucking illegal. Okay. So that goes through my head every fucking he time. He then goes on to suggest whose jurisdiction it is. There's a lot to this rant. The sad that part people is, should go watch immediately. Yeah, Kevin can't even watch the part that happens right before it when he does the metaphor of potentially fixing a fight. Not that he's saying they did, but that they probably did at Elite XC with Kimbo Slice, who he's already talking about how much he fucking hates. <laughs> but then comparing it to the Patriots. Uh, this is Yes, the football team, well, the Patriots. I, I got to watch this whole thing now. I got to go down a YouTube rabbit hole to find out. I need every angle. Uh, it's magic, and I, I highly encourage all of you guys to go watch it. He screams, you fucking jerk-offs at people. I, I, it's just genius. That man's a fucking millionaire. Oh. And you can tell the different eras in Dana's life with the amount of hair he still pretends to have. Yeah, he does. And the just general athleticism at which he mm-hmm. talks. Mm-hmm. It's, he's gotten like slowly lazier. He's like, whatever. Well, Raph, this has been great. Yes. Uh, thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing this time with me. This has been really good jujitsu uh, MMA discussions. Well, you're, you're welcome. Mostly good. It was, yeah, yeah we carried over. Good ping pong, especially at the beginning, which means it's time for some shout outs. I'll start 
Shivali Gowder came and visited us yeah, here yeah, in yeah. Denver this weekend. Tons of fun out here had during Halloween. Halloween in Denver is kind of crazy. People were dressing up like insane people, which is what you do, and it was awesome. I'm trying to think. I did some research today about jiu-jitsu schools. Uh, I'm not going to give them shout-outs yet, though, Raph. I want to make them earn it a little bit. Okay. But I will say, big shout-out to Ryan Hall, whom I'm still studying his half-guard techniques, and it's impressive shit. Good to know. And that's it for me, Raph. I'm glad you spent this time giving a shout-out to Ryan Hall. We'll continue to. He's a details master. He's very good. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and start by shouting out Valley Martial Arts Center. Uh, I want to wish uh, good luck to our buddy Casey, who is taking over the Tuesday night classes, uh, helping guys with fundamentals. Casey's good people. I actually ran into him last week when I was at a bar, and he was watching the football, and he got so... What's the word? Is it passionately angry, emotionally distraught that he looked at me and he's like, yo, man, I got to leave this bar because, like, my team sucks right now. And I was like, they certainly do. That's fair. So you do you. You do what you need to do. Uh, but Casey's good people. I'm sure he's going to be teaching a great class. I believe he started it. Oh, uh, no, it's starting tomorrow. So congrats to him. We can't wait to hear all about it. I also want to send a nice shout out to Breakdown Academy. With John Evans? Yeah, that one. Cool. <laughs> yes, still John Evans. Uh, John and I were having some fun at talking about a lot of things, but this will lead to the next uh, shout-out very nicely. John and I, if some of you may have recalled, uh, did a sharpshooter variant for WWE BJJ Week. Well, I went to Cobra Kai this weekend while in Vegas, as one does, as they should do, actually, while they're out in Vegas. And it uh, turns out that my buddy, Rodrigo Gutierrez, who is competing in the Metamorphs Challenger and is doing quite well. He's actually coming out to Gardena, I think, this weekend for the next level. Like, I think he's already made it two levels into the tournament. So this guy, I think back in July, bet me that Mendes was going to beat McGregor. Now, the condition he came up with, and mind you, this is on top of the betting lines that I did with Tim Kennedy. He put a bet that the loser had to take a finisher. Yes, that's right. A WWE BJJ finisher. So he offered that as the bet. And I'm like, are you really betting me like as a parlay side bet? Are you serious, dude? All right, fine. Yeah, let's do it. Well, he ended up losing that one, as most people would know, because I picked McGregor. And so I went to his class. He teaches a phenomenal class. It was great. We were doing some half guard work, which I really, really appreciated. And uh, at the end of it, he's like, dude, I got to fulfill my part of the bet. I'm like, oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> so oddly, of all people who happened to be in Vegas at that time, Octavio happened to be there and uh, shot a really, really cool uh, short video of it. But it was the same entry that John and I had worked on. So I was sending John notes. And I told him, I was like, you know, when we shot it and I got the move on him, I really felt like I was going to channel Bret Hart using it against Mr. Perfect. It's a really iconic shot. And Octavio shows me the footage and I go, I think it came out pretty okay. So I send a copy of that that picture 
where it's uh, composing or juxtaposing me and Bret Hart using it. I've seen it. And how does it look, Kevin? Uh, as as a stickler for jujitsu and its technical prowess, I must say I reluctantly am impressed by your technique. Thank you. So it's, it's spot it. on. It's very. It uh, looks it's like the spot, picture. Spot on, but it's very good. It is very. Very close. And I don't say that a lot about anything I do. But I looked at it and I go, I'm very pleased with this. So I send that over to Rodrigo. He laughs a lot. And then I send it over to John. And Jevons's response was, whoa. Well, that's rad. And John's the only person who gets me to say the word rad while in this current century, not the 1880s. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it was really funny. He was He was totally geeked out. But uh, I want to thank Rodrigo, Jerry, Joe, Joey, uh, Jesus, everybody, uh, the Shapiro brothers, basically for beating the shit out of me. This is terrible when you have a younger brother who fights MMA, Kev, and has a great, great pressure game, great purple belt, spectacular. And the whole time as we're rolling is just like, dude, I love your podcast. <laughs> Man, what are you guys doing this week? Is there any more competitions? You got any more stuff coming up? I'm going to keep complimenting you. And I was like, stop doing that. At this point, you've already passed my guard, so I don't so really need to. He was psyching you out, too. I like it. No, here's the thing. Nobody can games. really psych me out. They can't, oh. they can't beat me at talking because I've actually, with people way better than me, uh, gotten passes or sweeps when they're trying to do that to me because I'm a better talker than they are. However, everything else, way worse. So, yes, no, he was spectacular at it. And then a little bit later, I rolled with his brother, uh, Jerry. And, uh, man, he has some of the best pressure. He is just – he's phenomenal. And I texted this to Kevin, and I'll let you say your response. But mine was uh, we set the timer as a formality or, you know, just like, oh, yeah, well, let's go ahead and do that. How long did I, I text you? That we just rolled for that was be uh, that would be me a blue belt versus a black belt who is quite good. I'm scrolling up to it right now because we were texting a lot. Yes. <laughs> and have you figured out how long I was rolling with him now, Kevin? You guys set the clock for 20 minutes, but it was just like a matter of formality. Yeah, it was mostly just a continuous roll, so th there was no actual like. You know, he got me to something and then he'd like release. It was just kind of like, hey, and you want to keep going from here? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm in a terrible <laughs> position. Let's keep going. You said me that duration. And I'm like, 20 minutes with this is my response. 20 minutes with a black belt is foolish behavior rap. That's how people get hurt. And yeah. I stand by that analysis. I thought it was very wise on your part. I'm not sure you were thinking clearly. So. I don't know what happened, but he was just like, you want to train? He's like, yeah, let's set the clock. And the next thing you know, you'd hear the clock go off and you go, yeah, I'm going to still be in this terrible position, aren't I? All right. Well, good to know. So anyway, that was a lot of fun. I want to thank Jerry for taking the time uh, to really give me some great pointers. Rodrigo, like I said, teaches a great class. But like I said, Octavio happened to just be out there as well. So, Kev, I couldn't just beat up Rodrigo. I also had to beat up be Octavio. Yeah. But here's the thing about Octavio now. Octavio just expects to get beaten up. So I ended up, you know, taking a photo op with him. I didn't really think it out. I ended up putting him in a single leg Boston Crab, which has a very striking similarity to that of a belly down footlock. They're very similar. They're not exactly 100%. Um, but there's a wrestler by the name of Lance Storm 
who cool name. used to do that move. That was his like main finisher, and he had like a hundred different entries into it. And uh, Kev, what if I were to tell you right now that Lance Storm actually not only gave us a shout out for it, but reshared it on his Twitter? That is phenomenal. Because well, <laughs> if we're going to be sponsored by any, if we're not sponsored, but yeah. if anyone's going to be listening and is going to sponsor this message with a little retweet, I want it to be someone by the name of Lance Storm. And here's the thing. Great name. I'm just, because Kevin, maybe you can describe a little bit of the move I did to Octavio, because would you say that at a certain point he's trying to fight just being put in the move as one would do in pro wrestling? Instinct is going to kick in, of course. So what was he trying to do is I, I pick up his leg and I'm trying to move him over so that he's kind of like he flattens out. But what does he do? He tries to essentially like sweep down, right? And kind of like roll on his shoulder. So he he's a big fan of the spinning for no reason. Okay. But what he tries to do at this point is invert. And as okay, he goes to invert, uh, he's trying to make it harder. And then he's going to do that kiss of the dragon move where it's like mostly to try and take your back however in that i just kind of roll around and i still end up maintaining the footlock so now i have sent over to kevin the photo of not just lance storm saying hey that's really nice and resharing it with his folks which honored but then two other folks by name of william regal an mvp who trains jujitsu uh so didn't expect that this is amazing. I'm in on this. So did he happen to I presume that means he's okay with the technique as well? I believe so. And I mean, like I said, MVP stickler, training I just jujitsu. Uh that was a high mark because I'm always like, oh damn. And MVP ended up retweeting it, so we good Ooh, now. Thanks, look buddy. At that. I, I like that this this has been your dream. This is slowly like you're you're working towards. I'll just tell you this much. I don't acceptance. think I'll ever be in any kind of, let's say, world championship for jiu-jitsu, nor will I ever be a pro wrestler. But if you meet the two somewhere in the middle, it's nice to know that people who are excelling at both of them have very nice things to say about the techniques that we tend to combine. And I'll say this, Kev. This is maybe the most surprising part about training with the guys at Cobra Kai. I ended up giving them some pointers on WWE BJJ moves. And you could You're tell that they're black belts. Helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could tell that they're black belts. Were looking at me and they're like, I have a question, Raph. And I was like, oh, um, wait, what? Am I instructing this? Is that what's happening? Am I in charge of this? Oh, sweet. All right. Well, I'm glad. And, you know, well, you gotta I got to swing the leg over. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, okay. I see what you're. Okay, good. And I go, well, that's as close as I'm ever getting to teaching. So congratulations. And scene. So I want to thank them. But I also wanted to thank one other person, Kev. Who? All right, Kev. Let's discuss it. When it comes to me. And uh, training with people. How often do I talk shit about their jiu-jitsu game? All the time. He just no, never stops talking. It's the opposite. That was not the right answer. <laughs> you don't talk smack on people's jiu-jitsu. You talk smack on your own jiu-jitsu game. You don't talk smack on other people's jiu-jitsu. Absolutely. And maybe with a small asterisk to your game. That's like where it ends. Yeah. 
Um, but um, I would like to say, and I, I don't ever take credit for this, but I, I will today. I think it's an exception. I kind of demolished Nawaza Challenger, Damian Nitkin, and we have video of it on our um, our Instagram. Kev, what was your reaction when you saw that video? Mostly genuine shock. I just I couldn't believe it was that easy. You have a knack. Mm. You uh, you know you're able to just take people to a different level, and I think this is the start of a really successful run for you. By the way, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean I'm retiring on top, so the... that's how you do it. Yeah, about <laughs> to stupidly say like, "Hey, come challenge me." No, He's that's... gonna find you if you keep. <laughs> You're gonna get found. Can we yeah. be very honest at the very end of the second clip? Because we put up two. You can catch them on our Instagram at Verbal Tapcast. At the end of the second one, how much is he sizing me up? A thousand percent. I mean, it's like right that last step before you think, "Is it time to take to initiate the takedown?" It's like that scene in your mind when Captain Ricard is like, Data, take us to whatever. There's my Star Trek reference Data for this takes podcast. Data, whatever. <laughs> it's the worst written episode of Star Trek anybody's ever seen. <laughs> Captain Ricard has an alcoholic relapse. It's like, Data. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Captain Jean-Luc. Hold on. Shit. Don't look it up. Say it. It's Don't uh, look it up, you did. You're so <laughs> fucking cheating. And for the record, Ricard, it it's like with an R or a P. It's somewhere in there. Which one is it, though? Uh, oh, damn. I'm going with Ricard. Okay. Noted. Thank you. We'll look it up later. We're going to have to fact, so, anyway, fact checker. <laughs> let's just say this. Uh, when he was sizing me up at the very end, and you know we were looking at the footage. I just look at him and I go, yeah, that was pretty funny. Man, you look like you're going to try and kill me here. Isn't I mean, this is the truth. And he just goes, yeah, man, if I could um, Eminari roll and it wouldn't hurt on the sidewalk, I would have totally done it. And I was like, that's good to know. Cool. Yeah, my leg would have been toast. So my thank you to Damian Nitkin, uh, his friends out there. We didn't get to train this time. But uh, obviously, go look at the Instagram post. It's really, really funny, and he was uh, a great sport about it. So uh, my thanks to him. I probably will get to train with him very soon. And I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody you know in Vegas who was so nice. Obviously, our friends Matt and Allison. Uh, my buddy Will Cook was out that way. I didn't get to meet him and see what's up. But uh, to Damien, Rodrigo, Simgo at Cobra Kai, everybody just being so great. Uh, great, great experience. And I always get back to Vegas a ton. So if I didn't get to see you guys on this go around, hopefully I'll see you the next time. But, uh, and, uh, thank you to Kelly, my lovely wife and her mom, Sue. It was a great time in Vegas and I can't wait to go back. That's going to do it for us tonight here at verbal tap. Go Royals. <laughs> you waited all podcasts to say that? all podcasts. It feels amazing. Go Royals. Uh, is it going to feel more amazing when you find out that the name is Captain Picard? Fuck. Doesn't matter. Go Royals. Go Royals. I was born a month after they won the last series. That doesn't matter. One month. Good night and good fight. Oh, shit. <laughs>
I heard the hard R and I go, mm. damn it. Yeah, it's gonna go well. I knew I had one of them. That's really funny.